a personal update, taxes in a socialist paradise, businesses using government, and innovation will set us free. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the show you come for the accent, and I hopefully it's uh, even this accent is, is suitable to you guys, and you stay for the principles. I want to start today's show by talking about the the elephant in the room or to explain what's going on if you are a listener for this show of for any period of time you may have interacted with me on social media or via email i've always loved and enjoyed interacting with you guys even when you know you guys tell me you know i'm nitpicking or i'm you know i'm wrong on issues or you know i'm but unfair I've always been one who, you know, took great kind of pride in, you know, listening to you guys and, you know, having a discussion and understanding that after that discussion, you know, we just simply may have to agree to disagree. It's never anything personal. And I love doing it and I spend a lot of my free time, quote unquote, when I can engage with you guys, both publicly and privately. Earlier this week, I... I said uh, on social media I was taking a break because a lot of my demons are affecting me right now and I need to take a breather. And I want to explain what's going on and why. Because I've always been an open book with you guys and and girls. and I always try my best to be. Because I believe you are owed that quite simply. You guys give me a, and welcome me into your your home, your car, your gym routine. Why anyone would listen to me when they're in the gym is just beyond me, but, you know, that just doesn't sound like something cool. Oh, I'm going to go work out in the gym, and I'm going to listen to this fat boy talk about principles, but, hey, you do you, and I'll do me, huh? Um, but you guys invite me into your life, you know, for 90 minutes every week, and you listen to me talk about my my passion and my love for your wonderful nation. So I've always believed that you you were owed that for me to be open. If you have listened for a long time or a year, I think it was sometime last year, um, I opened up to you guys and shared some of my darker moments, some of the thoughts I had, and I was in a real bad place. And, and then I continued on doing the show and... You know, one of the things that is sad and is really hard to understand, especially if you're coming from a point of view of you don't have it or you don't know anyone who has any mental health problems. But it's not like a a button. 
that you can just simply switch on and off. You, in many ways, just get better at coping with your problems. There's so many different aspects of mental health. You just get better at coping. And honestly, I always deal with it. And it's always there in the background. And for a period, a short period of time there, I was getting used to ignoring my inner voice. You know, it's it's very hard to describe in words what someone goes through. But I want to do it to let you guys know what's happening in my world, but also to to try and bring awareness to what people go through and what people feel. The two analogies I can come up with, and I think I've shared these with you guys before, was one is, do you remember when you were a young kid and you had a brother or a sister or a friend or a cousin over and you literally just keep poking them, poking them in the arm? You know, just keep poking, poking, poking until they basically lashed out and had a reaction. For me, a lot of my feelings are like that. It's constantly there telling me different emotions. And it just keeps poking at you and gnawing at you, telling you, you suck, you're horrible, you're ugly, you'll never find happiness, you'll never get to America, you'll never achieve anything, you'll never amount to anything. And these are the nice thoughts that my brain says to me. And it just constantly says it to you over and over and over and over again. And it says it. And it keeps saying it. And it's like a building falling down. You know when you see something happen in an accident and it happens in slow motion? You're like, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Oh my God, that's going to happen. And then it starts happening. And then the per- there's always someone around in life going, I told you that was going to happen. Well, invariably, my voice and my inner voice very rarely says anything nice about myself. I am my own biggest enemy. I'd love to change it, but I can't. And my inner voice says all these horrible things about myself. Some of them because it's what my inner voice believes, but in some occasions, it's because of what other people have said to me. People who have hurt me in the past. And it's said by their, my inner voice is not me. It's them saying it and them doing it. And then invariably when something happens in life where I struggle, my inner voice gets that vindication and says, told you. You know, my problems, and everyone has problems, but a large part of my problems start with America. You know, I... (laughs) Whether you love me or hate me, whether you like what I say or can't stand what I say, I think it's obvious how much I love your country. You may not love it the way I do. You may love it for different reasons. But I love your country. And when I try and motivate myself and try and find a way there, invariably to this day I've always come up with an obstacle. There's always been something put in front of me that says, this is why this option is not available. And my brain is constantly there going, you're never getting there. You're never getting there. You're never getting there. You're never getting there. And then that obstacle comes, 
and it gets vindication, and the voice gets louder and louder in your head, and it goes, told you. Why bother even wasting your time? And it's the same problem in so many aspects of my life. Well, a lot of things which I won't bore you with, because we all have problems. I don't want to do this a poor me show, but I'm only trying to explain what's going on. Because other people have this. It's just been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last four, five weeks. And my ability to fight it and carry on is just really struggling. And I'm at a point in time where I need to do certain aspects of my life. I can fake it for a period of time. You know, one of the hard things to discuss if you're dealing with this is one of the things you'll see if you see people who commit suicide or go through the different patterns, you'll hear people invariably say in different corners, I never knew they seemed so happy. Because in many ways we can fake it. We can fake it for a period of time. It's not a constant. You can fake it, you know, when you're talking to someone, but when you're alone, that voice is there. When you're in the car, that voice is there and you just feel so tired and so worn down and so beat up. Well, that's what I have right now. I can fake it for my job because I need to work. I need to earn. Um, I need to earn money. I need to pay bills. I can't afford. I wish I had a point in time where I could sort of go, I'm just going to take a month off and just get better. I can't do that. For many, many different reasons. But literally when I fake it in work and I come home at night, I'm exhausted. All I just want to do is, if there's a big black hole and it could swallow me up, that's all I want to be in. I just, I'm just so beat up. So while I know this is selfish and while it's wrong, if you guys reach out to me on social media, I will get to it eventually, but I ask for your patience and your understanding because I'm not able to talk right now. I'm just so emotionally spent. But also part of the problem and reason I talk about this is because to raise awareness for mental health. It's a, you know, I see some of the stuff you guys, some of you guys post and reshare about your political enemies. You can think of the worst person in the world. I don't think I'd wish it on them. Like you could literally go, well, what about Hitler, John? Would you wish this on him? I really don't know. This, you know, physical pain is one thing. You know, physical pain is is horrible. You know, you you break a leg, done it. Break an arm, done it. Break bones, done it. Strained and torn ligaments in my back, in my neck, in my knees, done it, done it, done it. It's sore. It's not fun. Um, different people have different thresholds. But when you have the mental health issues... It's so much harder because you're just one 
event away from things turning really bad in your head. And it's so scary how quickly things can escalate. But one of the things that your brain does, and or my brain does, and if you have someone in this, it's really hard to deal with because your brain literally uses everything it can to make you the bad guy. So one of the things I have right now is, as I'm struggling, someone I know who I'm very fond of has cancer. And it's breaking my heart because this person is a really good person. And they don't deserve it. They're too young. They have too much to do in this world. But my brain uses that against me because it's like, look how selfish you are. Look how selfish you're being that you're, you have all these thoughts and there's your friend, you know, got cancer and is fighting for life and you, you're just, what wasting it so everything just compounds and makes everything worse i share this to let you guys know what's going on and to let you know to ask you to please pray for me to i think i can make a difference in this world in my little section that may sound arrogant or egotistical and I don't mean it to sound that way but I really want to to be a better person to be a person who has some type of happiness in life or if not happiness some type of peace but also someone who more importantly wants to help wants to make a positive influence because the thoughts of not being around anymore and not making that positive influence is a really scary thought but also to ask for your understanding if I don't answer if I'm quiet for a while online as for this show I'm going to keep doing it each and every week. I regret being silent last year when I was going through my problems. But I have too much to say and too much to talk about. I apologize if my voice is not the best or if I'm not the most happy, cheery person. But I will do my best and do my utmost to do a show each and every week for you guys that makes you reflect, makes you think, highlights some of the stuff that I think is important in our world and highlights it in a way that allows you to share it with your family and your friends, for you to share the points I raise. Because right now, freedom is in a lot of trouble right now. Freedom is, many ways, maybe like me. It's on the ropes. It's struggling. It's hurting. But with our help, if we all work together and we all play our little part, maybe freedom and maybe if I'm lucky enough can get back up and become stronger once again.
now that we have all that behind us, and I hope I didn't bring you guys down too much, but we have some issues to talk about. You know, one of the things that motivates me to do this show is in part, I'll be honest, in part to highlight the best way I can to ensure, you know, highlight principles to ensure you guys never become like Ireland or like Europe. That is a tragedy for me. You know, all this people out there who are like, you know what, Norwegian style socialism isn't too bad. I know there's a debate about whether it's actually socialism or not, but we can debate that another day. The second reason I do it is because not only do I am I trying to be the voice that says, no, don't become like us. I want you to be more like your family fathers. There is a reason whether you like it or not, factually, you are an exceptional nation. This is not my, an Irishman's opinion or me just spouting off. It's factually accurate. The, st- the evidence backs this up. There are certain core principles that made you exceptional. Those principles are the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The right to creep the fruits of your own labor. To innovate, to prosper. You know, to pursue your happiness. That is, as someone who deals with the issues I deal with, that it, those words are so powerful more and more as I'm going through this journey. The right to pursue your happiness, to find inner peace, to find joy, to, to understand you only have one life, one opportunity, and you make of it what you will. But one of the things I want to talk to you about right now is I want to talk to you about taxation and what taxation is actually like in Ireland. Because so f- so many in Ireland have bought into this myth of we need more services with our tax money. We don't need more of our tax money back. We need the money spent on more services. And I actually want to highlight to you, explain to you all the taxes that are in Ireland and why... It hurts the Irish person. Why it hurts and sometimes actually prevents people in the poorest parts of society getting a leg up. And I want to share some examples of this as we go through this. So a lot of people in Ireland are like many people around the rest of the world. We're employed by employers. We do have our, you know small businessmen who maybe are self-employed or maybe hire one person, you know, like a painter and decorator. But a lot of people are employed through employers, through companies, through organizations. And that's like America, like Europe, like everywhere else. The difference in Ireland is we don't have, as an employee, to file our own taxes. The government takes that every month for us. So, like, in America, if you get paid, let's just keep the numbers simple. If you got paid $2,000 in February for your work, you get $2,000. And then you get another 2000 in March, and you keep going that up, and then eventually you file your taxes, and you got to pay X amount, you know, income tax. Well, we don't have that in, in Ireland. It's taken from us. It's taken from our wage slips. We get $2,000, but we might have to pay different income taxes. And then we might be left with $1,750, and that's what we get. And then at the end of every year, we can file for a refund if we pay too much. But Ireland has three taxes on our income. 
on our paid income. It has what they call PAYE, which is basically pay-related, or pay-as-you-earn, which is basically an income tax. You have PRSI, which is basically pay-related social insurance, which is money that goes to welfare, you know, people who are on benefits and stuff. And then you have a USC, which is a universal social church. And this is basically a tax that was, when Ireland was bailed out and bankrupt years and years ago, we had a big deficit and big hole in our in our budget. What do you do? Well, you, you congratulations, you start a new tax called the USC. And that's to make up the shortfall. The USC is not too bad if you earn, it's not a big percentage, unless you earn over, I think, 75,000 euros, 75,000 euros a year. Uh, pay-related social insurance, it's small, but not not that small. The biggest one is the income tax. The income tax is 20% of what you earn minus your credits. But what makes this so horrible is the fact that every cent you earn over $35,000, give or take on the exchange rate, is taxed at 40%. Now, do you think that's going to stop innovation? Do you think that's going to stop people who want to get into business for themselves when they see that? I've shared this story many times, but it prohibits people working and working hard and working overtime. Is it fair that someone who maybe earns 30,000 euros or $30,000 a year, but has the chance to do overtime on every Saturday and get time and a half, no understanding that, you know, they get time and a half on a Saturday and maybe double time on a Sunday, and in the back of their head, they're going to go, you know what, I can only earn a certain amount before I start paying 40% tax. Why bother? Why, where's the incentive? Where's the incentive if the tax man is getting, you know, 40% of it minus their credits? But that's just one aspect of life. Because over here, everything in we do is taxed. So I'm going to go through a load of these taxes for you just to explain what life is like in these socialist heavens and paradise that Europe is. So the big tax we have is on life expenses. There's a VAT tax. It's a value-added tax. Think of it in, in American terms, a sales tax. The top rate of sales tax is 23%. This is the rate that is charged on pretty much all the popular items. It's charged on food. You know, you go to the grocery store, you buy some bread, you buy some milk, you buy some cheese, you buy some fruit, you buy some chocolate, buy some Gatorade, some coffee. 23%, baby. You decide to, you know, get that painter and decorator into, you know, paint your house. Charge the 23%. You know, you go to your solicitor, charge the 23%. You go to the movies, charged VAT at 23%. You go to, you know, bring your lovely partner out, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. You go, I'm going to bring you to, for dinner. You know, going to have a slap-up meal. Tax the 23%, baby. There's a lower rate of tax on for specialized goods and different services industries at 13.5%. And the low rate is 9%. And this is usually based around, um, they have different criteria, but it's usually based around tourist activities. Because what's funny and frustrating is everyone knows low taxation works. The reason we have a 9% VAT rate, we used to only have two. 
23 and 13.5. It actually was 21 and 13.5, but it went up. Is because Ireland is so dependent in some ways on tourism. You know, all Americans love coming over. Oh, I'm going to go to Ireland. I'm going to see where, you know, this crazy Irish guy is from. You know, and I, you know, when I go see a leprechaun and everything's so green, Ireland depends on tourism from America, from England, from Europe. It's a lovely little country. And they went, you know what? We need to encourage tourism. We need to encourage people coming in. We need to encourage people spending the money. Let's have a 9% tax rate to ensure we're as attractive as possible. Brilliant. What happens if you live here? Ah, tough luck. 23%, baby. Can you imagine the amount of money we pay in tax? Just on, on, just on goods. Just think of everything, you know, your local shopping bill, your local grocery bill. You know, some people pay, you know, 150, 200 bucks um, a week on food, on groceries. Understanding that if you pay 200 bucks in the groceries in like the our equivalent of Walmart, $46 is for tax. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem right? But then it gives and goes even further because most people today, depending on where you are, have some type of fuel consumption vehicle, whether it's diesel powered whether it's a hybrid or whether it's petrol-powered. Well, because Ireland is based in the EU and because we actually believe in the hoax that is man-made global warming and this myth that, you know what, if we just tax people, if we just tax people more money, guess what happens? Climate change stops. No, it doesn't really. We have not one, not two, not three, but four taxes on fuel. We have an excise tax, which is about 50 cents a litre. And I think there's about, isn't it three gallons in a, a three litres in a gallon? So think about that for, at your pump. We have a carbon tax, which is six cents a litre. We have a Nora levy, which is for a tax to basically keep our reserves, our strategic reserves intact of two cents. You put all of those taxes together with the actual cost plus the profit margin of the supplier. And then you put all that figure together and you charge 23% VAT on top of that. You know, there are many reasons America is a wonderful nation. And there are many reasons I struggle at times to highlight why you are. And there are sometimes I just have no sympathy for you guys. One of them is, you know, every time you go through a period, you haven't had one in a long time, thank God. But this period of, oh my God, price of gas is like three bucks. It's 325. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Gas is 350. Now, I do feel sorry for you because I do understand the American economy needs gas at about $2.50. But when I put it in context of life in Ireland, our gallon of gas, about eight bucks, eight, nine bucks, it goes up, it goes up to 10. I think at one point it was nearly 11 because it obviously changes with, you know, the, the rate of, of the currency. So, you know, your, your crisis at $3.50 or $4, it's still nothing compared to Irish, Irish life and English life and European life. To show you how bad it is, if you pay $2 of, for fuel in Ireland, at least 50% of that goes in taxes. And then you kind of wonder why there's a problem. But it doesn't stop there because there are also other taxes. And some of you guys have some of these over there. If we want to drive a car, we also got to pay a tax, not just a tax on fuel, but we got to pay a tax to drive that car. It just goes into the general fund. 
If we go, you know what? I want to go buy a house, you know, like people do. I want to set a family. I want to find a wife. I want to have two kids, 2.4 kids. And we want to buy a house together. We got to pay a tax to buy a house. It's called stamp duty. But then after we buy our house, if we're lucky enough to get a mortgage, we then also got to pay a property tax, which is a percentage of the value each and every year. Then it goes even further. Because these are the taxes that start waning on people. And this is where I really want to talk to you about turning rags to riches. I found out this a couple of weeks ago, and it actually really annoyed me. One of the things that Irish people do and European people do, and in socialist countries they do, is you don't get to file your own taxes unless you're an employer. And if you've got to pay a tax, it's taken from you. I found out recently that there is a tax over in Ireland. I knew about it, but I didn't know the race. There's a tax called dirt tax. It's a retention tax. You basically pay it on your savings. It's 41%. The reason I found this out and why I kind of went crazy recently was, as I'm sure you're aware if you're a long-term listener, I'm planning eventually, I don't know when this will happen, I need to get a lot of personal stuff sorted out, but of doing a speaking tour. And basically, each and every week and every month, I get paid. I put money into a a quote-unquote high-interest, untouchable savings account. Instead of just putting it into a local savings account where I could take it any time and, you know, I have to put in a certain amount each month by a certain date and I can't touch it to a certain period of time. And that gives me a quote-unquote high-interest. And I thought, you know what? That's great. Instead, I think I remember doing the figures of what I hope to do. I think it's going to give me an extra 200 bucks compared to the interest in my, you know, local bank. And I was like, you know what? 200 bucks doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to me, that is a lot of money. I want that $200 if I can earn it. Now the idea of, yeah, well, the government is just going to take 41% of that 200 bucks plus on top of the other interest. But instead of me having to go, hey, I made this money in savings. I've, you know, got $200. Here's your $82. No, that doesn't happen. What they do is this credit union will give me an account at the end of the year or whenever I close my account and say, okay, you've earned $200 interest. This is what you had to pay. You had to pay $82 interest. We're only giving you $118. It takes it for me. So there's no tax evasion. Does that seem fair to you? Does that seem fair to you? The idea that I work, I've paid income tax, I've paid PRSI, I've paid USC. I have made the sacrifice to put money in to my bank, to save money. And then you, who've done nothing, are going to come along and basically take money because I've been prudent, because I've been saving for a financial goal. Now, there may be some people who are going to go, well, John, you're only saving for a speaking tour. Okay, cool. It's not like they're just targeting me because I'm doing a speaking tour. Imagine someone saving for a house. The idea that you're going to take 41% of their interest while they're saving for a house. What happens if they're saving for, you know, a treatment? What happens if they're saving just to get a better life? What happens if they're saving just to go blow it on a vacation? The idea that you take 41%. No problem with that. But it goes even one step further. We have capital gains tax of 33%. And I actually just for kicks and giggles did this because I know a lot of this audience has some variation of crypto. 
And I wanted to use an actual example. So imagine you had, I don't know, seven grand. Imagine your parents came to you at, on Christmas and went, my son or daughter, you're so wonderful. Here's $7,000 and said, have fun. And let's say instead of going, you know, going happy days, I got $7,000. I'm going to go buy, go on a vacation. I'm going to bring my, my partner out for a nice meal. You went, you know what? I think Bitcoin's going to go up. Because on January 2nd, Bitcoin was worth just under $7,000. January 2nd. Today, as we speak, recording this show, it's just around $10,000. So let's say you invested at Christmas, and now you're saying, you know what? I've made a nice profit. I'm okay. You've made $3,000 profit because you had the foresight thinking, I think Bitcoin's going to go up. You've made three grand profit. You're going to pay $1,000 of that profit to the government and they did nothing you took the risk you took all the risk bitcoin could have went down to four thousand then you would have been like oh my god what happened but it didn't it went up to ten this is on all capital gains any gain you make you pay 33 percent but also included in that is gift taxes this idea because government is so inherently f- bad and just takes where it has no right to take. I always use this as an example of how bad situations are, about how bad governments are, how bad and immoral they are. And it's a, f- it's a stupid example, but I think it, it's worth pointing it out. Imagine tomorrow you woke up and you checked your winning lottery numbers. Now, your lotteries are so much bigger, usually, than the Irish lotto. The Irish lotto basically starts like a million euros, which is $1.1 million. And then it goes up, and like a big jackpot in Ireland for an Irish lotto is like $5 million, which is about $5.5 million. You know, you guys laugh at it. You guys have like 100 and... Remember when I was over there last year, the Powerball was like... Or the lotto was like $98 million or $102 million or something crazy like that. But let's just say you won $5 million in the... In the lotto and you went i've just won five million dollars euros you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna have a good time but i'm also gonna look after closest you know my parents still have a mortgage on their house i'm gonna pay off their mortgage you know what my my sister my brother they're really struggling they've had a really tough few years you know what i never want them to have to worry about losing their house i'm gonna pay off their mortgage as well and you know what else i'm gonna do I'm going to give them a bit of cash. You know, it might seem insignificant. I'm going to give you 20 grand. I'm going to give you 30 grand because you, you had a bit of a harder time. You know, you've got some friends. You've got some, you know, close friends. You know, got some cousins. And you decide, you know what? Every family member, I've got 20 cousins. I'm going to give them, I don't know, 10 grand each, 20 grand each. You're going to spread the wealth around. Each and every one of those transactions, depending on the relative and the, how close they are to you, is eligible for a gift tax of 33%. The idea that you want to pay off your parents' mortgage early, your sister's mortgage, the idea that the government can come in and go, you want to give her 100 grand? Cool. You're going to give us 33 because that's an inheritance tax. Now, it wouldn't be 33. It'd probably be more like 25 because there's a threshold. You get a certain amount that you can give tax-free. I've just won 5 million and you are charging me to give money to my sister? Does this seem fair to you? Does this seem right to you? But also then on top of that, one of the most sickest taxes, and you have this in the US, one of the most immoral taxes out there is inheritance tax. 
This idea that you can only inherit a certain amount. You know, I I don't know people who are like this, but you know, if you decided, you know what, I have a hundred grand in the bank, I'm gonna leave it to my my sister. You can only give a gift of twenty five thousand or twenty thousand, I think it is, to your your siblings. If you left them a hundred grand, they pay thirty three percent tax on eighty grand. Does that seem right to you? It's even less for a friend, and a friend is like ten thousand dollars. At that, does that seem fair to you? But here's where I want to give you this analogy of all these taxes, and there's so many more, but these are the most common ones. Imagine having a system where you were that saver. You really worked hard, and you lived a really life that does nothing, that you don't do anything fun, that you never go out for meals, that you never go to the cinema, that you never do anything fun. That you're literally going, I'm going to save every penny or I'm going to invest every penny. And not because you're doing a speaking tour or not because you want to do something, but because you want to set up your own business. You have this idea and you work damn hard at it. Is it fair that you pay all your income taxes, all your, your, your sales taxes and everything you buy and everything else you start paying capital gains tax or dirt tax on? This is why big government sucks. It's immoral taking all this money from people. And what I would ask my friends who are like, you know what, I don't have a problem with all these taxes. The question that needs to be asked of everyone, whether you're left or right, is when is enough enough? When is enough enough? At what point do you just go, I'm taxed enough, baby. I'm taxed enough already. Just leave me alone. Just let me keep my little nest egg. At what point do these taxes stop innovation? At what point do these taxes hurt people? How about we start having those discussions? And what's sad about it is all these taxes that I've laid out for you, if you don't start making the case not about Republicans or Democrats or left versus right or Tea Party or liberal or conservative, whatever it is, if you don't start making the case about you have the right to keep the fruits of your own labor, that you are taxed enough already by both sides, you will come to a point where the the Irish people, where you had the two main parties, one saying, we have a bit of a surplus in our budget, we want to do spend one-third of that surplus on services, and two-thirds we want to give back to tax people, to tax people who are taxed, want to give tax cuts to people. And the Irish people, in poll after poll after poll, overwhelmingly say, no, we don't want taxes back, We want you to invest in more services. That will happen in America because you've become so ingrained to just taxes the way it is. We just want better services. Which is the role of government? Is the role of government to provide services, which is every other nation? Or is the role of government to protect your rights? Do you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness, but also keep the fruits of your labor? share another story with you about the role of government and I want to share a story with you because I'll be honest with you the left and right and the Republicans and the Democrats in America are no different they do not see government as the problem they just both fight over who can run it better and as someone who lives in Ireland I don't want that to be the discussion 
My discussion isn't whether it's who runs it better or who runs it more efficiently or who can do it better or who's better at governing or who has the better policies. America wasn't built on that. America was built on the principle that government is instituted among men to protect your rights and that there are limits on government. There is no limit on government in Ireland. It can do what it wants. It can get involved in any issue. There is no issue that the, the the federal government we don't have we don't call it the federal government, we call it the national government. But the federal government has no limits in Ireland. It can do what it wants. If there's an issue, there is no issue. They kind of say that is off limits. It just does it. In theory, when you have your constitutional government, there are so many issues that are off balance. The government, the federal government, has no power. You may think it's right. You may think it's wrong. But the responsibility lies with the individual states. I want to share a story with you. And this is a story that actually happened in my neighborhood. Because when you understand government and why it's so bad, you can actually have and maybe find some common ground with some of our friends on the left. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, I did. Let me share this story with you. I want you to imagine three roads basically parallel to each other. On the first road, there's a school. On the second road, there's a load of shops and a takeaway. I don't think you really guys and girls have takeaways. So imagine, let's use a brand. So on the first road, there's a school. On the second road, there's a White Castle or a McDonald's. Think of a, think of a restaurant you don't like, Taco Bell, whatever you know, industry you're not like, Burger King, whatever place you don't like. And then on the third road, a unit becomes available. And the unit becomes available because there used to be a butcher's there, but the butcher, between taxation and, uh, you know, business and trade and many other reasons and age, decided, you know, I'm just not, I'm, it's not worth it anymore. I'm closing up shop. So the unit became available. And people went and saw it. And this company who, in this case, sold fried chicken came in and said, that's cool, that's awesome, that's a nice unit. You know what, that, and you know, there's a unit there and there's a bar down the road. You know what, I think we can make some money if we sold fried chicken there. You know, the nearest KFC is like three, four miles away. I think we can make some money. So they went through the process of kind of going, hey, we want to do it. And they went in for planning permission because they wanted to, you know, they had to install it and relay out because it was a butcher shop and they, they want to make it, you know, which is cold and cold fridges. And now they want, you know, to make fryers and stuff and build fryers and a shop front. And it's going to have, you know, a lot of patronage and footfall. So you got to apply for planning permission. They got denied. They got denied because the company that was on the second street, which is a takeaway, basically objected and they didn't object on any good grounds their objection was farcical their objection was um you know the way we're having an obesity problem in our country right now you shouldn't be having allowing any other shops or takeaways or junk food places open up that was in within such a close vicinity of the school oh really so are you, because you're so worried about obesity and, you know, people and kids, you know, having such access to junk food at lunchtime. Are you going to shut your lunchtime? No, 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 we're going to stay open. Oh, no, we're just going to, you know, it's okay if they buy from us, but not from them. Even though if you actually want to think of this logistically, they would have had to walk further to get to the new chicken shop and then back 
walk further back to school than they would have to go to your takeaway. But they objected on grounds of obesity, childhood obesity, and having it's not right to have such access to junk food so close to a school. And the government upheld their objection. It's now becoming a barber's. Does that sound fair to you? Does that sound... Is there anyone who isn't kind of going, are you freaking kidding me right now? Is there anyone who listens to that story? I don't care whether you're a big socialist, whether you're, you know, big free market capitalist, or whether you love big government and you love capitalism. I don't care whether you're Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell or Charles Chuck Schumer, Charles Schumer, whatever his name is, Chuck Schumer. Is there anyone who listens to that story and going, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's totally rational. Is there anyone that would listen to that story and kind of go, that's fair? Would Barack Obama go, well, that's just the way it is? Or would it be a case of we can all look at things and kind of go, that decision was wrong? It's wrong on the basis of it's not the government's job to tell people where they can operate their business. If we're so worried about childhood obesity and, you know, such access, close access of junk food to schools, then how about we institute self-control? How about we institute, you know, situations where parents demand their kids are not allowed to leave the school property during lunchtime? How about we institute the parents actually do their job and tell them, hey, don't eat that chicken. But it's so good, chicken. I know, but you'll get fat. Don't eat it. Don't become like that Irish guy. How about we do any of these? But this is just totally normal. This is business as usual for government. Because government over here, there are no limits to your power. But the reason I share this story is to highlight a principle. And the principle is this. You know, I see so much... Well, I haven't this week because I haven't been online, but I see so many people trying to share their talking points about how the left are so bad and their, their worries about capitalism are so bad. There are ways we can find common ground and unite on. There are ways... Is there anyone in the right who believes in free markets who's okay with that, that government has the power to say, you know what, you're wrong? Is there anyone who would say on the right that that business who objected on the grounds of childhood obesity and access to junk food close to a school is not just acting out of own self-interest? And that it's even worse that the government allowed it and didn't see through the bullcrap case of acting in its own self-interest, but used the government as a weapon and is okay with that. How should business succeed and fail? This is the question that needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed on the right more so than the left. We all know how the left, in in certain cases, want government to operate. They want government to be the nanny. But do you want and believe in the system of free markets? Or do you just want government that says, you know what, we just want government run our way, and we'll be the moral arbiters of society? The debate needs to happen is what is the role of government? Does government have a role in business? Does government have a role in innovation? Or is government's job to protect your God-given rights and not infringe on them? These are questions we need to start asking ourselves and finding out exactly where you stand, whether you're left, center, or right, or top or bottom or middle or wherever you are. These are questions we need to start asking ourselves. And these are stories I need to find and start sharing with them and giving you these examples. Because right now in Ireland and in England and in Europe, government is, there is no limit. There is absolutely no limit to the government's power. It can do what it wants. 
It is the moral arbiter of society. And if it's fair or not, it doesn't matter. It rules. It rules generally with an iron fist. Do you want that system in America? Do you think that's fair? Because this is where I want to bring it full circle. One of the frustrating things, there are times when you believe in the Constitution that it is really, really hard to say, you know what, they don't have a role. I want to talk to you about one example to bring this full circle and bring it back to America. California, whether you like it or hate it, whether you like its leaders or hate its leaders, is having a problem right now. And that problem is called homelessness. First question. Is it the federal government's job to be involved in homelessness? Every administration would say yes. Every administration, including the Trump administration, who sent Representative Ben Carson out to the conference. And Trump has tweeted, I believe, saying he's in support of this. He even, imagine this, got a, a thank you from Arnold Schwarzenegger because they were having a tiff, um, a dispute over something. I can't remember what it was. It was over The Apprentice or something silly like that. He even got a thank you from him for saying get it, thank you for getting involved. Does the federal government have a situation? Does it have a role in homelessness? In case you're wondering... I'd go ask you to read your constitution and find out where homelessness or anything that can be even linked to homelessness is in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. It's not very many words. Go read it and come back to me. That is the problem that we have to have. That is the discussion we have to acknowledge that, you know, sometimes you're not going to like the answer. Does the federal government have a role in homelessness? No. It is left up to the states. And it is up to the states to have a responsibility. The problem is we don't have honest discourse anymore. Because if someone like me said, no, it wouldn't be about the Constitution. The debate would be, why do you hate homeless people? I don't. I've worked around homeless people. I've volunteered around homeless people. I guarantee you, I know more about homelessness problems and poverty problems than the vast majority of people who are in the poverty industry. I say this not as arrogant, but someone who's been around it, someone who has lived around poverty level or near enough to income-wise personally my whole adult life. I'm not rich. Never close to rich. I've also volunteered and seen some of the most vulnerable people in society. I want to help them just as much. But the problem is, when you live in Ireland, everyone automatically looks to government. We have no self-responsibility. There is no one with the, the fortitude to say, no, that's our responsibility. In America, when you have the Constitution, the constitutional argument is, look, it may suck, and we can give you support. You know, you can have a president, you know, use the bully pulpit to talk about homelessness and talk about innovation, and to say, here are the solutions to homelessness. You can have that. But the federal government, when it comes to aid, when it comes to you know addressing these problems, it doesn't have a role. Why? Because of federalism. It has that role, and it's up to the states to go, no, this is our problem. No, you know what? Thanks, thanks, federal government. We don't need you. Likewise, when it comes to natural disasters, natural disasters happen. You know, all these people who believe in the Constitution but welcome in FEMA trucks. Again, where is that in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution? 
It's all easy to take it, but what we need people to do is have the responsibility and the dignity to go, you know what, this is a state issue, we're going to deal with this. But it goes one step further. The people who should be taking a leading role in this are people who believe in religion. Who People who believe in faith. People who believe in a higher power. Your job, whether you're a Christian of any description, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Baptist or Southern Baptist or Mormon, whether you're Jewish, the idea of Christianity and Judaism is helping other people. Now, it has to be twofold. I would make the argument that maybe the president has a role in the sense of the bully pulpit. I would love to see a president go and talk about free markets and say, you have this problem. Do you know what the problem in California is? Same problem that's in Ireland that John just spoke about. Excessive taxation, excessive rules, excessive regulation. What we need is, and especially in California, because I understand I've been to California once, twice, twice. Um, it's a beautiful state. I hear so many people who say so many nice things about California. You know, it's so beautiful. You know, some of the same things people tell me about Ireland. It's so beautiful. It's so picturesque. They don't say this about Ireland, that, you know, but the climate is so nice. The weather, it's so beautiful there. I got it. It looks picturesque. The government sucks. I'd love to hear someone talk about innovation, about allowing people to pursue the fruits of, or sorry, pursue their happiness and keeping the fruits of their own labor. That can be one way the federal government can be involved. You give all these, you know, Trump rallies or pro, you know, whether it's any Trump or whether it's any politician, you have these rallies and say, this is what we're going to talk about. Limited government, but also understanding that it's a road for the federalism. And that if anyone is to get involved that's not in California, it shouldn't be the federal government. It should be its fellow states, where the states work together. That is the idea of federalism. But if you mention that today, who would highlight that? But also, from a religious point of view and a Christianity point of view, what is your job? Where are the churches saying, we have this big homelessness problem, we're going to get involved? That no federal government, it's not your job to take taxes and fix this. It's our job. Where are all the charities? And when I say charities, I don't mean charities with big paid CEOs and big paid people. I mean volunteers going around people saying, we're going to fix this. We're going to help. We're going to help people. And I don't mean help them in the sense of we're going to give them food and we're going to keep giving them food and we're going to give them all this stuff. I mean, going in and on the ground and help them and help them up, give them a leg up and then go, you know what? We're going to help you, you and you. And the idea is at some point you don't need us anymore because so many times aid and charity is so dependent needed. It's constant. It's this constant stream. I've seen it with people where it's just part of their income, where it's just constant. You're going to constantly give me food. And yet this is a biblical principle. If you teach, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. So many charities are based around this. How about we teach people how to fish? How, can, how about we tell them, you don't need me to come and give you this fish. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you your fishing rod, and I'm going to show you. And yes, it may take you two, three, four times for me to show you. But eventually, you don't need me. You can do this by yourself. You got this. What more empowering messages are than that? We need to take responsibility. But sadly, in this world, with states, with churches with everything else, 
It's all been left up and you've become all powerful and into the president. And everyone's just looking, hey, Mr. President, what are you going to do? We need to stop asking that question. Especially if you believe in the federalist system. It's not what Mr. President's going to do or Mrs. President. Or what's the federal government going to do? The answer to the question is, what are you going to do? talking to you about two stories that are in the news right now and these two stories are a prime example of why i have hope for the future you know I, I i've said this a couple of times recently but one of the things i get hope from is people's ability to innovate i really do look around at the world and marvel at people's genius you know how you can have this vision I was talking to someone about climate change um, about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And he went, look, you know, nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to change. You know, we're doomed, basically. And I said, why do you believe, even if you believe, take for a pinch of salt, we agree on climate change, that we can't solve it. I'm sorry, that, you know, everything we say on climate change is true. We don't. We didn't agree on it because I spoke about different aspects of it. But let's just say... Everything they say is true. Imagine having the belief that it's too late. You know, or 500 days or a 1,000 days to chaos or climate chaos or whatever fancy hashtag they all came up with and said, it's too late. We didn't do anything. We didn't act. It's over. Imagine having that as a mindset. I think my mindset is screwed up the way I think. But that's about me personally. Nothing about anyone else. To have that mindset of it's done. It's doomed. How sad is that? Because I look around at the world that we live in, and I feel people really have a lack of understanding of basic human history. You know, I would ask you just to look around at everything you take for granted today that you didn't have 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago. You know, it's a relatively new idea that you flick a switch and you automatically have light. This idea that you can click a switch and you have heat. And even now, do you even need to click a switch? You have all this technology that, you know, you can preset it, that it'll come on at a certain time. You know, if you, you know, arrive home at 6.30, you can, you can put the heat on at 6 o'clock. You know, you can put on the thermostat and you can have all these different innovations. You know, look at, you know, if you said to me 20 years ago, you're going to record a show and upload it to the cloud and, you know, your producer at the blaze will take it down and then anyone around the world can listen to it, apart from China and a few other, you know, censorship cities and states, but that you can listen to it anytime. The idea that you can go back and listen to a sh- my shows from like 2015 is not just that not pl- saying anyone should do that, but, you know, this idea of technology, you know, when five years ago would that have been possible? Ten years ago? You know, look at all the things we have, the internet, of all this cap- capacity to, you know, buy stuff online. You know, you have a situation where, I, I don't know whether you have this yet or not, um, but, you know, you're going to have, you know, in certain aspects in America, you're going to have Amazon delivering within the hour. You know, you can literally go on and say, hey, I need this, and it'll, an hour later, it'll, a drone will deliver it, or maybe it's 90 minutes. But, like, it's it's not like a week 
You can have any access to anything on your phone, on your mobile telephone, which you can carry around. The innovation that's in that device alone. You can call people, you can text people, it's instantaneous. You have all these apps to other, you know, people around the world, you know, WhatsApp and different things. You have email. You can go on to, you know, um, listen to podcasts. You can go on to Audible and listen to books. You can go- download Kindle and read books. You can play any game you want. You can play soccer on your, on your phone. All this on a telephone. It's amazing. I look around at the world and I know people laugh at when I say this, but you know, this idea of indoor plumbing is still a relatively new thing in the world. You're looking around on all this innovation. You know, you have m- mobiles now um, that drive on the road. You have mobiles that go in the air that defy the laws of gravity. And that's only in the last 50, 100 years. You know, even in my lifetime, it was a big deal to go on a plane that 90 miles to England. Now it's commonplace for people like to go to America. Just, I'd, our, one of our neighbors went on holidays, just, you know, got a late deal and went to Disneyland in California. It's just common. It's just what we do. You know, it's unbelievable. The innovation through security that we have, you know, that this person has cameras all around the house, can literally, when they're in California, can log on to their phone, see the cameras and kind of go, oh, that's, that's, the house is still safe on their phone. It's amazing. And then someone wants to tell me that we can't solve all these problems through innovation. The problem isn't, can we solve these problems? The question is, how do we solve it? Do you believe in the individual, in innovation? Or do you believe in government? I want to share two stories with you, which one I find exciting as hell, and the other one I think is unbelievable, but I'm still so skeptical this will actually, this will be the cure. So let me share the story that I'm a bit skeptical of, because I don't know enough to to have an opinion. I hope this works. But there's a research facility in Colorado, and they believe that snake venom could ultimately be the cure for cancer. And they say this because um, in snake venom, because, you know, snakes can kill people. That, you know, there's so many compounds in snake venom that have evolved. They kill other animals, they kill other things. And what they do is basically, in scientific terms, they wreak havoc with living systems. Um, so they think it's a natural place to look to for, you know, solving cancer because, you know, you want that great disruptor. Now, I've, I've shared a story last year, I think it was, or maybe it's a bit longer, of an Israeli company who are different, um, have a different solution to cancer. But all these things, you know, if you're 20, 30, 40, even 50 years old right now, do you think it's more likely or less likely we'll find a cure for cancer by the time you're dead? I believe it's more likely. I believe one day cancer will just be like, I don't know whether it'll be like as common as the cold, but maybe you'll be as common as a heart attack. You know, a heart attack used to be fatal. Now it's like you had a heart attack. Oh, you went in, you got your bypass, you got your things, you got your monitor, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it sucked. And yeah, you got to rest for a while. And yes, you got to rest. And, you know, you have to be careful. And yes, you may have to change your diet and stuff. But how many times do you hear people have a heart attack and die? As there's some, sure. But in the vast majority, a lot of people survive it. Thank God. And I can live a relatively, quote unquote, normal life after that heart attack. Why is that? Through innovation. I've, I remember hearing a, about someone um, 
going through a medical procedure and I think it was in their chest or in their heart. Oh, yeah, it was in their heart. And I can't remember what they got, but how they got to the heart was through their thigh. And then literally went up. It was not, you know, the old days you have to, to get to the heart, you might have to, you know, crack open your chest and, you know, break your chest um, your, on your diaphragm. Now it went up through the leg. And this idea that you have this little piece of tubing that, you know, works, fixes its way up your leg and up your groin and up your belly and eventually gets to your heart. And then they can do stuff and take biopsies and stuff. It's incredible. Why is that? What causes that? Is there some government bureaucrat sitting at a desk kind of going, gee, you know, I have this idea. Instead of cracking people's chests open, how about we insert something in the leg and it goes up? Or is there a way of doing this where it's innovation? Likewise on medicine, if you think back five, ten years ago, how you know successful and how expensive and how much access we had to like eye surgery, now you can have it. Is it expensive to some? Sure. But the idea, it's become more common and more successful. What solves these? I believe, I don't know whether snake venom is going to cure cancer, but do I believe it's a possibility? Sure. And do I believe people wanting to pursue their happiness to solve this, but also keeping the fruits of their own labor have the right to do it? Absolutely. If someone cures cancer, is there anyone, can Bernie Sanders make a cognizant argument to his supporters, to his biggest supporters saying that person needs to pay their fair share? They've cured cancer for millions around the world, but they earn too much. Is there anyone who's going to agree with him on that? Second story. This is the one I find cool as hell because I grew up a a Star Trek fan. But um, it all comes down to um, NASA has given SpaceX SpaceX the thumbs up to become the first company uh, in its commercial crew to send humans into space. Imagine that. This is an incredible race between SpaceX and Boeing. But SpaceX seem to have gotten a bit of an upper hand. They're going to send humans, humans into space. Is there not a part of you, and I, I'm going to make a very sexist comment and I apologize, but is there not a boy in within the age of like 10 to 45 maybe that doesn't think that is as cool as hell? I'm sure there's some girls who are Trekkie fans as well and maybe want to do it. Absolutely. But isn't there that inner explorer in you that wants to go, I want to be one of them. How cool would that be? Do I want to be one of the first? Hell no. Do I even want to be the first few hundred? Nope. But when it becomes common and everyone can do it, absolutely to say, I was in space. But I'd ask you again, I don't know whether it's going to be SpaceX. I don't know whether it's Boeing. I don't know who it is. But do you, can you see a point in time whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that we think of things as sending humans into space as impossible. We see things as curing cancer as been impossible. Do you, can you see a point in time where we will take these for granted that it will literally be going to space is the same as eh, indoor plumbing. It's nice, but we don't think about it. What brings that to fruition? What brings that to fruition? Is it the idea of government? Is it some bureaucrat? Is it telling people they need to pay their fair share? Or is it somewhere, some way, an individual or a group of individuals coming together with this bold, ambitious plan? And then maybe they have the funding themselves, maybe they're rich, or maybe having this plan and not having the funding, and then going to other individuals and saying, listen, I have this crazy idea. 
we're, we're going to go to space and we're going to have just anyone can go to space, but I need all these millions. And then going to each of these individual investors and then getting them involved to go, you know what? I don't know whether you can do it or not, but I'll give you a million and I'll give you a million and I'll give you a million. And then all of a sudden that adds up because they want to make a profit. What is the answer? What is the role of government? And what is the solution to all our problems? I am a firm believer in the things that give me hope for our future, that we can turn the tide around, that we can make our future brighter, safer, and more prosperous, is not government. I'm an old school guy. I believe the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I don't care whether government is run by left, right, top, bottom centrists. Donald Trump or Barack Obama, they are still terrifying words. What I do believe in is the innovation, the imagination, the profit motive of individuals to pursue their happiness and keep the fruits of our labor. I hope today's show has given you something to think about. As always, we finish off the way we always do by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets, the men and women who risk their Eventon for for freedom 24-7. But also I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget America is great because Americans are good. And lastly to you, my audience. I thank you for your prayer and your support during this time and I ask you for your understanding and your patience. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you have a beautiful versus freebies this is freedom's disciple with jonathan dunn on the blaze radio network